Genesis chapter 1. We're in part 5 of this session. How many of you guys thought we'd make it to five parts in one, one chapter? We haven't even made it through one verse. <laughs> Um, no, we're kind of moving on to, to, to we're in this verse, and we're going to be coming back to this verse again later on, but um, we are talking, I am going to assume you have read the chapter, because we are going to be talking as if you have, so you've never read chapter one, now's the time to do so, right now, just speed read it, you got it, you know, because we're going to be going through it, so I'm, I'm going to be skipping around and assuming you've read it. Um. And when we started out, I showed that these, when the people, um, when it was written, they were thinking of a very different uh, cosmology, a very different way of thinking than we do. When we think of the heaven and the earth, and we think very much the, you know, like when I think globe, I think you know, earth, I think of the globe as, as it is, and 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 when we think heavens, I might think of after death, or that, you know, or maybe even space. We talk about heavens as being space, the final frontier. Um, but uh, but as I've stated, they're not in communication with Darwin. That's not what they were. Uh, it was originally intended for Darwin's teaching on evolution hadn't come around yet. So they didn't communicate with it. So we're going to be focusing in on Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to be uh, looking at what they were thinking about, and, and we're going to be talking about the cosmology today, and we're going to be dealing with some of the ancient Egyptian cosmology. I don't think we'll get to that today, but uh, we're dealing with ancient Mesopotamian cosmology. Um, and so we're going to be looking at that, what they would have been in contact with, these groups that were... Very much the people they were in contact with. So we're going to be thinking about that. So we don't have to, uh, um, and so we're not, but we are not going to read every, every word. I am going to fo- assume that you have read it for yourself. Um, all right, so how does the Bible begin? What's the first word there? In. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashemayim va'et. Eretz. That's what's on the board there. Barashit. Um, we translate it in the beginning. Um, a lot of more uh, more modern scholars think it might be better to translate when God began to create. Um, in fact, the Tanakh, which is a interlinear version of the Bible um, that I have in my office over there, um, does translate it when God began to create heaven and earth. Um, the first word in the Hebrew, Bereshit, um, the word the is actually not there in the Hebrew. Um, if we go here, um, dude, let's use green. All right, so um, make that bigger so I can write bigger. All right, so better sheet. If it was in the, there would be a line. There wouldn't be this shava there. That would be gone. So there'd be a line across it. That'd be in the. 
The in the is not there. It just says in beginning. The um, uh, do do let me see if I can erase that. There we go. Um, the first word better she is actually comprised of two things: the the bet preposition. Uh, wrong word. That one. And the uh, Rashid, the bet preposition means in, by, with, through, when. Yes, it means all of that, depending on the context of the word. Um, the Hebrew is one of those languages that doesn't have, uh, there's, you know, like, I don't, don't quote me, I don't know exactly how many it is. But like, there's only like a thousand words. If you're trying to memorize the words in the Bible, there's only like a thousand Hebrew words. They're used like in a lot of different ways. So it's you know, and I don't know exactly how many there are, but there it's. But the 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 bet there could mean in or by or with, and as you're reading in the Hebrew, it means all of those things at different times. Um, the noun rashit, um, which is this second part here. Uh, refers to the uh, uh, first or the former or the best thing. It comes from the the, the word uh, rosh, which means uh, well, and one of the words that it's related to. Remember, we talked about words that are related to it have the same root words. One of the words that's related to it is rosh, which means head. Um, so it's like the first thing, the the best thing. Um, so it could be understood, uh, so we can understand it in the English as in the beginning, um, but there's some grammatical issues there that um, I'm told by Hebrew experts that there's some grammatical issues there. Uh, I'm not one of those people, I've, I've taken Hebrew a couple of times, but I'm not an expert, I'm not going to throw that out there, but um, because... Ordinarily, Bereshit would be referred to um, with another noun. In the beginning of whatever it is. So we could say in the beginning of um, of speaking. In the beginning of um, uh, of heaven, in the beginning of time, in the beginning of, you know, whatever we use, or we can in the beginning of, but usually it's used that way. Um, in this one, it'd be in the beginning, is it Bereshit bara, in beginning of creation, in the beginning of, but that's a verb, so in the beginning of created, uh, of creating, um, in the beginning of creating what God that's not the object God is doing the creation it tells us the object the word et here which we will come back to in a few lessons because it's kind of one of those words that people say what is important or not um, is the, the word that tells us the direct object that's the word that tells us what the sentence is, is what well, it's the verb is uh, is affecting so the verb bara this word here, bara, which bara is a fun word. Only God creates. There's another word when man makes something. There's, 
or we, we would say creating something, but the word bara is only used in the Hebrew Bible for God. God's the only one who does the bara. He's the only one who creates that. So this is a uniquely God kind of creation. Um, so in this, what's being created, we know it's the heavens and the earth that are being created. So you have this bara, barashit, uh, you have barashit, bara, Elohim, so God's not being created. He's the one doing the creation. So we might say God created uh, uh, the heavens and the earth. Um, the Rashi, one of the most influential Jewish uh, of the high, uh, uh, high Middle Ages uh, in France, um, around 1040 to 1105 uh, CE, um, made the argument that it be in the beginning of uh, he created uh, in the beginning of, of of everything he created the heavens and the earth um, um, on the day so another people have used it on the day of creation um, so it's in the beginning or when God begins his creation process. That's the, really the idea that's in this, this word here is when God begins his creation process, whatever that is. Um, is it, and, and this can go both young earth or old earth can use it in the same process. When this process began, when the story began, so the ancient Hebrews would be not so concerned with like, is this the very beginning of time? or is that, they, That's not the way they were thinking. When the story begins, when this, when this event, when the, our, what matters to us begins, God creating. That's really kind of the idea that they're going there for is, um, is, is when the story starts, God is creating. Our story starts. Whether when our because remember the, the it's God. The whole Bible is 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 not about God and his relationship to dogs. That's not what the or his relationship to cats or his relationship to horses. That something we might want to know, but we don't even know if they go to heaven or whatever. That's not something that's that's in the Bible. That's not something they're concerned with. It, the whole Bible is God's relationship with his chosen mode co-rulers, human beings. So it's all about the relationship. Well, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, what that means, you know, they would have seen it. When God began to creating, he created the heavens, and we'll look at what the heavens means in just a minute, and the place where man can live. Because um, we'll look at all that in just a minute. Yeah. Oh, you know, this, yeah, you know, what, ha you know, 
what happened before there was time, you know, God outside, you know, that's not something that they would have even thought about. In the beginning, God already was. Actually, that's one of my next points is uh, a rabbi pointed this out. Now, I don't know if, um, if this is what the original writers were going for, but it captures it very well, so I like it. Like I, said, I don't know if it's what the original writers were going for, but it captures it. And I can't, couldn't find the rabbi's name, so I apologize to rabbi whoever. Um, but what he said was... Um, he says, he said, do you know why the Torah begins with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet? He says, it begins with, uh, with the bet, which is the second letter. He said, because no matter how you interpret, no matter how many you read it, no matter what happens, Adonai comes first. The Lord comes first. He said, no matter what you do with it, Adonai comes first which begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's right. It's very true. We can't say what happens before this or what happens after because time is something that is only in relationship to us. God is outside of time. He has entered into time when he deals with us, especially when he becomes flesh in Jesus Christ. But God himself, the Father himself, is outside of time. Time is a, a, is, is a, a creation that we need. He doesn't need it. And we, I don't know about you guys, but I have trouble fathoming what it would be like to live in a place where we're not affected by that dimension, which is time. Eternity isn't a long time because there is no time in eternity. It just is. Whoa, but that's but the, I have trouble. For me personally, I have trouble. And he's outside. Of, you know, we think well, the the, the dimensions: there's height, length, width, space, time. All you know, there's mathematically speaking, they're theorized eleven different dimensions. And some of them we can't see, and you know, and and. And I don't know if I understand all of that because I'm not a full, you know, that's not outside of my realm of my studies. But, um, but to live without those dimensions, I mean, you think about it, God doesn't have width or length or height. He doesn't have space. He's everywhere. He doesn't have time. To live without those dimensions, I mean, I don't think we could, I mean, as limited beings, we can't fathom that. That's just, I don't know, that's amazing. <laughs> Who cares? Whatever you get out, you get out, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, so, Whatever we translate, however you translate that, whatever you believe happened before, you know, how this came about, the Lord comes first. All right, let's go back to this. Um, 
Hashemayim va'et ha'eretz. Oops, my chair just fell. All right. Um, Hashemayim. Um, this is the word for heavens. And ha'eretz, the earth. Uh, so Shemayim. Um, and there's some debate as to how Shemayim comes about. So we're not going to get into that one so much. But um, let's talk about the heavens and the earth. Remember last time we talked about when we say the word heaven, we often think of that moment that, that place after you do that po- post-mortem place, go to heaven, you know, and that's really become our, our, our starting point. And I really um, admire a lot of teaching like, uh, like Billy Graham's teaching, but that was really his stick, right? Where do you go when you die, after you die, which has led a lot of people actually to stop caring about because like, I don't care what happens after I die. I want to know what happens now when I, you know, in my life now. Um, I think we swung a little too far on that point of view and stopped moving, you know, we, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying maybe we went too far and just started worrying about where people go when they die and not how they live their life now. Because um, it is definitely important and we, we, we want to talk about that, but we got to focus on people's lives now too, you know. Um, but Heavens, when we think of heavens, that moment of life, this is, um, that's not what they would be thinking of. They would be thinking of something more like, can you see that all right? Yeah. All right. So, um, so there's, the heavens would include three different levels. The sky, so this area here. Where you look up and you see the sky, where you know the, the the way the birds are, and the it would include also the um, the waters above the firmament, this area here. So the moon, stars, that's all in the sky. So what we'd call space, that's all sky. The firmament, which we'll talk about here in a minute, um, this dome-looking part here, um, that. Um, the, so there's, according to the way they think, there's, they, they were thinking there's waters above that. And that's where the flood waters come from, is from the water above the firmament. And then on top of that, there's the heavens, which is the, um, the throne room of God. So there's three different heavens. That's why it's plural in the Hebrew. There's three different layers of heaven, not seven heavens. Not um, so when we say heavens, they're referring to anything that's upwards, whether it be the sky where the moon and star is, and the because remember they don't know they don't have the telescopes. They don't you know the sky is up there. The heavens, so the waters above the heavens, because God created the firmament to separate the waters. And then he, there's the, the throne room of God. So everything up is sky. And, everything, and earth, the word earth, is um, 
the land beneath your feet. It's the place man can dwell. It's not the globe as we would think about it. It's the place where you can live, the earth, the land beneath your feet. They wouldn't have had a concept. They would know that there was, they might have known that the earth goes into the sea, but would they have known that there's, you know, more earth underneath the sea? I don't know. You know, they might have thought it dropped off. I guess that depends on what time period you're dealing with. Um, But, um, so they would have think that, and interesting enough, as I think about this right now, um, this isn't part of my notes, but I, th- I think this, very, this is very fascinating. We said, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What's not there when we think of, well, there's heaven, there's earth, and there's what? Hell. Hell's not there. There's no hell space. It's not in, it's not in Genesis. That idea of what we call hell comes later. That is not something that's in Genesis. Nope, not in this one. Not in Genesis chapter 1. There is no hell space. Now, if you look, what develops is this idea of Sheol, which is not hell. This is the grave, the place that all dead go. All people go to the Sheol, not hell, not purgatory, the grave. That's the word, that's the, Sheol is the transliterated, the, the, the version word for the word for grave. It's the abode of the dead. Um, so we've got, uh, so we have, we have three different things here. We have one, this right here is the sky, like that's where the clouds are, sun, moon, stars. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm coloring. Can you, can, can you not see the coloring? How about yellow? Can you see yellow? No. Yes, right. Um, Sorry. All right. Can you see red? That, can you see that at all? Okay, I can't make it any more clear. So, um, thank you, Dennis. Can you, um, <laughs> thank you, Dennis. All right. Um, so, yeah, so there's... Um, so that Sheol will come about. Um, I read from 2 Corinthians 12, 2. Um, I know a man in Christ, this is Paul speaking, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. This is where one of those places where Paul was talking about the third heaven. Whether the in body or out of body, I do not know. Um, God knows. Apparently, this guy had like a outer body experience or was taken up. It, to me, I don't know what happened in what, in Paul's life. I don't know who this guy is. We don't. Paul doesn't elaborate at all, so we don't know anything about it. So most people, so we we often overlook this section. Uh, and we probably should just go by it really quickly because Paul never mentions it again. But um, but the idea is. That um, 
that uh, that whatever happened to him, I don't know if he went to heaven when he died, like he you know had a near you know a near death experience or whatever. Um, but that's the only place that the third heaven is actually mentioned in 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 there. That there's three different yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so that means he was another Christian. He was another believer in Christian, uh, new in Christ. I would say probably not. What he because Paul's making another point here. He's making a point that. After, you know, that we're taking up to the throne room of God when we die. And, and he's making something, another point here. But we can see here that Paul has believes in the same uh, point of view that there's three heavens. One, two, and then three. And the third heaven is where God's throne room is. Uh So let's 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 go back to that idea of the firmament. Um, this dome right here, kind of like the the glass on a snow globe. Um, some scientific people say, well, that's the ozone layer or whatever else. But there's really something that's. When you do that, you're missing what they're saying because there's the flood waters that come from there. That's where the chaos comes from. But um, Genesis chapter 1, uh, 6 through 8. And God said, let there be a vaulted dome. I'm reading from the LEB. Some of your translations may say a firmament, uh, expanse, um, vault or dome. This one says vaulted dome. In the midst of the waters, and let it cause separation between the waters, so that God made the vaulted dome, and he created a separation between the waters, which were under the vaulted dome, and which were between the waters, and which were the, uh, over the vaulted dome. And so, and God called the vaulted dome heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. It's what we call space is something that they wouldn't even thought of. Sky, where the birds are, the sun, the moon, that's all the same thing. That idea of going into outer space and stuff like that, they would, that's not something that would be in their minds. We can't, like, because we have a different cosmology, we think, well, there's the sky, the ozone layer, the outer layer, the, the, the space, and we don't know how far space goes, and then there's the Milky Way, you know, you know, and all that's not something that would be on their mind. You look up, remember, they didn't have rocket ships, they didn't have satellites, they didn't have, they look up, that's the sky. So literally, it would just be in the cloud. So it was up. Yeah, there's so there's there's so if we try to put our cosmology back on it, we're really trying to cram a a, a a square peg into a round hole. It's not really what they're thinking of, uh, and we can do so, and people do all the time, 
But it's, it's to do that we're taking away from what they're trying to say. See, the vaulted dome here, the word here is the rakia. Rakia. And it refers to a blue solid dome that's over the land, which separates water from water. It's... Um, so he said, and God said, let there be a rakia in the midst of the water and let it separate water from water. So God made a rakia and separated waters from which below the rakia from the waters which were above the rakia. And so it was. And they called the rakia heavens. Um, so water above, water below. So they're thinking, so uh so they're thinking this that there's this this like this globe this this dome that separates water from water and we'll get to what the why they say water from water uh, in the next this week next week and probably the week after that because um, it takes us a while to, to study the Hebrew Bible is not something that we just oh we, I read it I've got it it's a meditative literature. It, we have to keep going back to it and back to it and back to it and back to it to really to work out what it says. Um, so it's like when so it's like when you say whenever you think about heaven, I always think about what do clouds taste like? What do clouds taste like? That is a wonderful question. Thank you. Um, I am curious about that too. Um, hopefully like cotton candy. Um, I read from Genesis 1.20. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let the birds fly above and across the the." Rakia. So let the birds fly over the land against the surface of the rakia. So we've translated over across the vault of the sky or or against the it's the idea that let it be flow against the the surface of the rest so of the birds are against this rakia. Uh, Ezekiel one twenty-two. Uh, Spread out above the heads of living creatures. So there's something like a rakia over the heads of the living creatures. Like the appearance of uh, that, and that looks something like a vault sparkling, like crystal, and awesome. So there's something like a rakia over the heads of the living creatures, the appearance of like crystal or ice stretching over the heads of the heavens above. Um, Ezekiel one twenty six, above the rakia, the, over their heads, was what looked like a a um, a blue sapphire throne. So uh, lapsus lizzles is like a a blue throne. Um, so. Um, there's that word, 
Rakia, if you're interested in the Hebrew. Rakia. Um, now, Rakia, this is a comes from the root. Remember now I said that they often come from root words, usually a verb. This is interesting. You'll like this. Rakia comes from the, 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 the verb raka, which means to hammer out or to smooth out or to spread out. Uh, raka. So this is kind of, this is kind of fun. Uh, Exodus 39.3. They Rakad, they hammered out, they being the craftsmen, Rakad, smooth sheets of gold and cut them into cords to be woven together with blue and purple and scarlet as they were doing the prayer, the, 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 the garments that they were, they were making. This Rakad, they were, they were hammering out, these craftsmen were hammering out the gold. Um, have you ever seen like uh, gold leafing on something where they hammer it out and it's, it's gold overlayered the wood usually? Um, that's kind of the image here is that it's been rakad. It's been hammered out. Um, uh, Isaiah uh, 40, 19. As for an idol, a metal worker cast it and a goldsmith... Um, uh, Rakad it with gold. And we, we translate it, overlaid it with gold. It's rakad, it's that word rakad. Uh, so it's, this rakia is a solid blue dome that, um, which has separated waters from below and water and has waters above it, which, and so it's been hammered out, like the image is this, now, the, the, the word rakad kind of gives us this image that it was hammered out, but it was God did the hammering with, with no effort at all. It just was, which is, which is something uniquely God, right? We're, if we want to hammer out, if we want to rakad something, we, you have to take, there's a lot of work that goes involved, right? He just does. It just is. Which is really that's that's God bara. He he's creating um, with this, and we actually we'll come back to his effortlessness when we talk about Mesopotamia and their their stories. Uh, um, we'll we'll get to that maybe next week, probably the week after that. Um, and uh, so you know the waters. Um, and, and the waters of Raqqa are like, have these windows which water is released from. Now, uh, the idea is um, that, see, they knew that clouds um, made rain and water. They knew that. They knew that. Now, but some passages read that the waters above fill the clouds and then it rains like God has his hand on the spigot. Now, other, pass other places you see that they actually understood that it wasn't necessarily, it was, you know, they have, as later on, they, they developed more of a sense of humidity in the air and stuff like that. But, um, but the idea is, is not that it's rain and snow. Um, and of course, when I was taught in school, you know, there was like these chambers, rains, chambers, snow, chamber, and the... And, and, but that's not really the image we get here. The image 
that we get here that, you know, those things come from the clouds. You know, God may fill them with, from, you know, the, the, but that's a different subject. The waters that come from above the firmament have only been released once. I saw it right there. I saw it. Say it out loud for us. That's right. The flood. That's the only time that it's been released was the flood. The waters from above the, the, the rakia have only been released in the flood. That is uh, that's the only time. And it's that deconstruction. The idea of the flood is that it deconstructs. It reverses creation in this flooding from the Raqqa. Um, and those waters are still up there. I read Psalm 104, which is a psalm we'll come back to, because you know, I know some of you guys did it in, in, in church this morning. Uh, Carolyn, I heard, did a great job on Psalm 104, so we're going to come back to that as well, though I'm probably going to skip it for the most part, because Carolyn's already done it. Uh, or maybe I'll bring her here and she can repeat it for you guys. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, it, uh, but you know, it lays the beams of his upper chambers in in their waters and makes the cloud in his chariots and rides. So God's throne is above the waters. The waters are still there, but God says, "I'm not going to let them fall again." In the same creation way. Uh, as I did in the 600 year of Noah's life on the 17th day, on the second month of that day, the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens, that idea of the rakia uh, has fallen down and uh, the skies were open. They reek uh, that, uh, so that rakia that, that is like a shield, it protects and creates a place that creation can happen. So this rakia is this idea, like it creates a place from water to water, where the waters above. See, water. Um, did I put that on here? Yeah. Anyways, water in the Bible is a symbol of chaos. And we'll come back to this when we talk about uh, ancient Mesopotamian mythology and why, where this comes from. But the idea is that water is chaos. Um, it's, it's a place where, see, they, the Hebrews never really become great sailors. They don't, become, you know, they don't have scuba diving equipment. They don't, you know, they don't have submarines. They, uh, they don't even really do much. I mean, they fish on a lake, and, they, you know, and that's a deadly place, you know, the city of Galilee. Um, they don't really, they never take, the water always becomes, a, in their image, in the way they think, it's always a place of chaos. Man cannot live in the water. And that's really what it's about. Man cannot live in the water. There's two, in the book of Genesis, there's two, uh, in Genesis chapter one, there's two symbols for chaos. Water, can anyone name the second one? Think about it. Genesis chapter one. Just Genesis chapter 1. Chaos and the water and that's right, darkness. 
That's why he separates water from water and creates a place we can live. And then the very then day one, he says, Vayahi or, Vayahi or, let there be lights, and there was lights. Because he's removing chaos so that life can happen, that creation can happen. Um, and God saw the light was good, and God caused there to be a separation. Well, let's read that. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 through 5. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, saw the light that it was good, and that God caused there to be a separation between the light and the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and morning the first day. Uh, now, when we think modern cosmology, how much time do I have left? Ooh. Um, modern cosmology, we think light, you know, light is photons, tiny packets of energy that behave like a wave, also like particles. Very fascinating subject in, in physics. But that's not what they meant here. <laughs> that's not what they were thinking of. Um, you know, and it's not hard to figure out that light comes from the sun. They knew that. Uh, ancient Egyptians that before them knew that. Um, so as we, they know that light does that light comes from sun. So what's the problem here? What day is the sun created? You guys should know this one. What? Day four. One, two, and three. God creates places for things to exist. Four through five, He fills them. Four through six, He fills them. So He creates space, fills them. So day four is the day He creates the sun. And the luminaries and stars and all that stuff. Um, so they knew that, you know, they didn't have an idea that the, the sun was a gaseous giant, you know, that was this kind of, you know, they can, you know, we know what kind of star it is and, and you know, how long, it, you know, the, the length of a star. You know, that's not what they would have thought about when they said it's the, they didn't think about it as being the heat source of the universe. They, it was the place where heat and light comes from. They knew that. It was, it was you know, an expansion. Um, and, uh, and so we have, but light happens before the sun. Now there's something very natural in that observation. I don't know how many of you guys get up in the morning. When does light happen? It's... Right? And when does the sun get up? Right? Sun gets up probably around 6.30 right now. You know, it depends on the year. But light happens before the sun does. Now, they knew that the sun caused the light. But light does happen before the sun. And we often think, so there's a very natural description here. Um, light in the, is, and the sun are not simultaneous. Um, but what they are stating here as they think about this, though, is where does the light truly come from? Uh, 
it's, it's from God. So they were saying that it's, 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 it's God who provides the light before the sun. Uh, and so light can actually permeate the entire rakia even before the sun is there. Um, I read Psalm 36. I'm running out of time. Okay. Uh, your love, Lord, reaches into the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountain, your justice like the great deeps. Your lo- you, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your water, from your river of delight, for the for you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue your love to those who know your righteousness, to the upright heart. May the foot be proud not to uh, come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evil doors lie fallen, throw down, not able to rise. The idea, there's, there's, there's your righteousness is like the high mountains, your um, there's actually that that three tiers there. Your your preserved people and animals. Your your uh, they take rings. They uh, you give them the drink out of the rivers of water. You delight. Uh, actually, uh, side note here. The really interesting the uh, the the word uh, for delight in this passage is the Hebrew word Eden. Um, which is what the Garden of Eden is named after, the, the Garden in Delight. Uh, that's that's that, what the word is named after. Um, we'll talk about that later. Um, so, you're with, for with you, the fountain of life, in your light we see light. So the ultimate source of light is not that disc that's up there, it's, it's God who's, creates that disc which well as we'll talk about in the coming days one of the 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 sun is where a lot of people like we'll talk about this tomorrow when we talk about egypt uh next week i'm sorry next week when we talk about egypt the sun god is the first god it's the sun where it gives life I say no our god created the light our god created the sun so your highest God is beneath our God. See, this, this conversation they're not having with Darwin. They're having it with the other religions around them. We are, our God is bigger. Um, but true light comes from, uh, and, and that light is given a name. What's the name for, uh, uh, the name of light? That's right, day. Light, the, the, uh, the, the, the name for light is not photon. Um, the name for light is day, and darkness is called night. Uh, not, these are not material entities, but periods of time. Uh, 
day one the is the or about the ordering of time bringing time into existence uh, so light day time comes into existence and uh and god is the order of all that and uh And God's glorious emanates and brings light to the darkness. And you can see uh, Psalm 36, Isaiah 60, Revelation 22, 5. I mean, there's lots of passages that you can turn to where God is the emulating right. Um, so, so day and nights are names of... And I think this is interesting. Day and night are categories that are only relevant to who? us they're not relevant to god they're only relevant to us this is his conversation god is establishing order of time for us um because we because uh, it's not about it's 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 about us the, the the it's about our relationship to god this whole story is about our relationship to god as his chosen co-rulers Uh, so, um, John one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not has not overcome it. Uh, darkness is is viewed as the obstacle, just like the waters. Darkness is the obstacle of God's creation, not equal to God. It's not like we're saying this light and dark are equal. He's saying that. It's the obstacle that must be overcome in this drama um, of, of, of the, the story. No, the idea of Satan and hell doesn't come back come in, come in at all in, in Genesis chapter 1. But darkness is an obstacle. It's not, not necessarily referred to as Satan how some people will put that into it later on. Um, but that doesn't come around to like the third century AD where people start putting that back into it. Uh, right now, we're just saying that darkness is... And now, I've got to remember, for these people, they didn't have lanterns, they, you know, fire, you know, if you have fire, it only covers a certain amount of space, you know, Darkness is a very real threat. And so it's a threat to life. And so if life is, you know, we're co-rulers and life, the, the whole thing is about creating a space for light, for, for life to happen, darkness must be overcome. Uh, and God does that. He brings light. And darkness is not, does not push against darkness. It's the absence of the light. 
We sure were. We were always afraid of what's under the bed. Um, but but look at uh, like uh, Genesis, uh, Revelation. Did I put this on here? Revelation. There you are. Revelation twenty-one one. You know a really fun study, and you guys could do it another time. Go through Revelations twenty-one and twenty-two, and, and see how it relates to Genesis chapter one. It's awesome. They're very cool. We, we won't do that right now, but. Um, um, uh, then I saw a new heavens and a new earth for the first heaven, the first had passed away. There was no longer any sea. Now it doesn't mean that the sea, all, there's no water on the earth and it all dried up. That's not what it's talking about here. We can try to make it mean that all the dystopian things, there's no water, you know, anywhere, but that's not what it's talking about. It's no longer that source of chaos anymore. That sea is that representation of chaos. There's no longer the chaos, uh, 22, three and five. No longer will be any curse. The throne of God, the Lamb, and the city will be a servant to him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their forehead. There will be no more night. Not that the, you know, earth, the earth necessarily stops spinning or anything like that. There's no need for the, that, that place of the obstacle for life to happen, that... that uh, that obstacle to creation is no more. It's not even there anymore in Revelation. Um, and so um, darkness and water, the two things that, are, that undo creation are undone at the, in the new creation. They're, they're, they're undone. Um, and so, you know, and I, I think it would be wrong to, to assume that all, at the end of times all surfers will be depressed because uh, they have no water. Um, I think that's really wrong. I think what we're, we need to, that it's a metaphysical claim that the threat to life will be taken away, uh, will be removed. Um, and, you know, of course, that gets back into the idea of what is physics versus metaphysics, and we're talking about metaphysics here more than we are physics. Uh, rehash on what that is. I know we talked about it last time. I see some people scratching their heads. Physics is... Um, watch what is it made of what's uh you know what does it do how does it work metaphysics is why do we need a watch um so um so the, the thesis uh I, I read um did i put this on i didn't read that put it on there i read uh, from richard carlson uh the science creation and the bible a thesis on the meaning of Genesis 1, the early chapters of Genesis accurately present the account of the cosmic and human origins in the language and concepts, categories of the ancient Israelite authors of the Bible. These, con these texts should not be removed from the ancient context of the uh, uh, context and read it as if they describe a, co a cosmic or human origins in the 21st scientific terms. They speak in terms of ancient Near Eastern pre uh, perceptions of the word and should be interpreted within that setting. When we discern the meaning of the text in the original context, we find that they constitute a worldview statement about God and his relationship to the world and about humans and their relationship to God and the world. The basic worldview uh, statement transcends its ancient cultural settings and commands the, ancient, uh, the attention of God's people in, 
in all places and all times. In other words, it's not about the way we view the world. It's about interpreting it within their point of view. Uh, worldview, when I say worldview, uh, which is um, a, w- a way in which a cultural group explains its, uh, or tries to make sense of their experiences. So uh, who are we, where are we, what's the problem, what's the solution, where we're located in the story, that's what a worldview is. And, uh, you know, every culture has a different worldview. Even today in the United States, we, you know, even Within the United States, we have different people that have different worldviews. How, who are we, where we're at, what's the solution, uh, where we're located in the story. We have different people that have different worldviews. And what we need to do when we deal with Genesis chapter 1 is we need to go back and say, okay, where do we fit into this picture? Like, we need to put ourselves in their worldview, not try to put our worldview on it. Um, our culture seems to be the only culture of the human race that has been able to so accurately describe the composition of the universe and think that we can give a full account of the universe but leave out the question of the meaning of its purpose. I read, I heard uh, someone... uh, um, not John, Tim from the Bible Project say that one time on one of his podcasts or something, I forget what he said, where he said it, so I couldn't quote it. Um, But he said, um, we're the only culture in the history of human race that has been able to so accurately describe the composition of the universe and yet think that we can give, and give such a full account of the universe, but we live out the question of the meaning and purpose of it. Um, that's, so when we think about cosmology, what's the purpose? They're thinking more about what's the purpose of the universe, not more how it's created. We're the weirdos. <laughs> We're the ones that are thinking differently than the rest of, of history. We're the ones that say, well, it's, this is space, and this is, this is the firmament, this is the, uh, what is the, 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 the CO2, these are the, you know, this is that. This, you know, we're the ones trying to put ourselves into that. They were thinking more about the metaphysics. What's the purpose? What's the meaning? What about life? I think we've become afraid to ask those questions because we've lost purpose. In the United States especially. We've lost purpose. Which I think is why the drug uh, rates are so high. I think that's why a lot of things are happening because we've lost purpose. Because we're afraid to ask those questions. What's the meaning of it all? We can accurately describe it. And how many people are nihilist? Nothing matters. Nothing. We're just nothing. We're after this, we just become whatever. You can become one with the universe or just cease to exist or whatever. Uh, well, I'm out of time. I actually went a couple minutes over. Um, so let's, let's put that on hold. We'll come back to it as we talk about ancient Egypt ever so briefly. I, I started working on it already, and I don't know how I'm going to narrow it down. But I'll get it there. Just know that it'll be really narrowed down. <laughs> uh,
really narrowed down. Uh, but uh, all right, well, let's go ahead and go to prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Father God, Lord, I praise you today, Lord. I thank you for this wonderful blessing. I thank that you that you just uh, help us to focus on meet you with the words that you have shown us through those people. They have a cosmic way of looking at, it, and you have used them to show us something. Help us to see it as we focus on you, you the true uh, creator of life and light. And give us purpose. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right.